1: Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
0: Corp is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record.
2: in Test Cricket in England for Shane Warden. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Yeah! Australia have got it! Australia is back on the biggest
0: stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the show. As always we're here for our friends at the Tobin Brothers funerals celebrating lives. Today... We're speaking to one of racing's most revered jockeys. From Dunnydo to the Derby and all around the world, Hugh Bowman has won 97 Group 1 races and proven himself to be an elite horseman over a long period of time. But he will forever be remembered for his winning partnership with the great Mayor Winx. Their association was a racing dream. But Hugh has always deferred to the horse's ability rather than his own. Hey, there's no room for modesty here, Hugh. Hello and welcome. Sam. How are you? Th- thanks for having me on the show.
2: It's a, it's an honour to be invited to be um, a part of it.
1: No, you're too kind. It's an honour to talk to you. And we'll, we'll come back to the Mighty Mere later because life is a journey, as they say, and yours started in Dunnydo, New South Wales, what, population 700-odd. Is there still much Dunnydo in you?
2: Dun, uh Yeah, it's, well, yeah, obviously my family is still there. Uh, I've got a... Christine and I... A, in partnership with my cousin. We have a farm up there too. So I don't get back there too often. We'll try and get the kids up there in the school holidays when we can, but it's a pretty busy lifestyle uh, doing what we do. And although that's changed a little bit over the with this extraordinary 2020, but um, mm. yeah, with the amount of international travel and, you know, even going interstate to different racing carnivals that, you know, it's occupied my life over the last sort of five to ten years. Um, yeah, it gives me limited opportunity to get back there, but it's certainly um, well. I call Sydney home now, but uh, obviously my family's still there, and my you know I've got a lot of great memories. And yeah, it is it, forever where I've come, where I came from.
1: Give us an insight, Hugh, into what some of those memories look like. I mean, what was childhood like out there? I think you spent time on a few different properties as a kid and lots of cattle, lots yep. of sheep.
2: Yeah, I did. So w- when I was born, we were in Duny Doo. Mum and Dad were in Dunny Doo. And when I was, when I well, I would have been eight years old uh, in year two, we moved to Mandoran. So I actually did my primary school in. Uh, mainly in Mendoran, at Mendoran Central School. So that's a village, that's a town probably a bit smaller than Dunedoo, about half an hour to 40 minutes towards Gilgandra, so west of Dunedoo. So that's where I did my primary schooling. And, yeah, growing up on the farm, we had uh, sheep and cattle and obviously horses. Horses have been a part of my life since before I can remember. And I think, you know... Um, that well, we had a lot of sheep work and a lot of cattle work on when I was a kid, and I think that's, you know, I think that's where my skills began to be honed in those early days, uh, mustering cattle and sheep, and getting a feel for not only the horses but a- animals in general. So, yeah, it was a, a, a an excellent childhood. I was very lucky, very stable family, and. Like I said, my folks are still up there and, and my sister who's got a, got a little boy, Archie, too. So uh, they're, they're still up. At, um, so getting back to Mendor, uh, when I was... I went to school in Sydney. So I went to boarding school when I was in Year 7. And uh, soon after that, Mum and Dad moved back to the family farm, Maraudery, which has, yeah, been in our family since... Well, the start of time, really, the start of Australia. So uh, there's a lot of history there.
1: Looking back at it, Hugh, were you ever going to be anything else, do you think? I mean, it was, as you say, it was right there in front of you, but it was also in your blood as well. I think your grandfather, your great-uncle, your old man, your uncles, they were all jockeys at, at amateur level?
2: They were all amateur jockeys. And again, it was very different then, obviously, and... Uh, they they had their own horses, trained their own horses. And, you know, my grandfather was a trainer. My father rode them. I remember him riding. Only just, but I do remember it. And I remember getting dressed up in all his jockey outfit and riding the rocking horse for hours on end. But <laughs> I wouldn't say it was always, um, you know, I didn't... As a child, I wanted to be a... An, a elite sportsman. Now, I wasn't necessarily attracted to being a jockey, but uh, in, in the cricket season, I wanted to play cricket. When the tennis was on, I wanted to be a tennis player. and I used to play football against myself in the backyard because there was no one else. I remember I used to get dressed up as a, in my Parramatta Reels outfit and just go and kick the footy for, again, hours and hours on end and dreamed yeah. of one day playing football but it was quite obvious to me at an early age that football wasn't going to be my forte but <laughs> yeah I, I, but I did really want like I, I did really um, I did really aspire to be a sportsman of some description and I think when I went away to boarding school as I said and I was away from horses for the first time and mum and dad came down and took took me to the races on, on a Saturday for, you know one of the rare weekends that they were in Sydney and yeah, I just remember. I remember vividly, actually, seeing the jockeys walk out to the parade ring, and it was just an instant ambition to 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 be a jockey, a
1: professional jockey.
2: Yeah, well, I was so going to ask w- you. I would have been about thirteen or fourteen then, I suppose, if I think about it.
1: Yeah, well, that w- that was what I was going to ask you, Hugh. Was can you remember a point in time where you know it, it just clicked that this is the path you wanted to pursue, and you might have just described it.
2: Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, uh, up until go, leaving home, uh, I was 12 when I went to Sydney. Um, oh, honestly, if I never saw another horse again at that stage, it would would have been too soon. But like I said, once I was away from them and, you know, they'd been such an integral part of my life, uh, you know, I, I did miss them. And then, like I said, we went to the races one day at Randwick and when I saw the jockeys come out to get legged up, it was just like an instant quick um, in my, I suppose, you know, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. and Anyway, time went on and here we are, 20-odd, 30 years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. And leaving home at 12 for the big smoke, uh, Scots College it was in Sydney there, I mean, gee, was that difficult?
2: Um, Look, it was wasn't easy but I mean I had a lot of friends doing the same thing they didn't all go to Scott I had one one of my school friends Anthony Poole, who we went right through primary school and high school together but um, but it's not uncommon for country bo- country people boys and girls to hmm. to board for the for education purposes so you know it's interesting now we've got kids of our own uh, Bambi who's 7 and Paige is 5 and you know we're starting to think a ahead of about schooling and things like that when they get to high school. And, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, they're some of the fondest, fondest memories of my life, my time at boarding school. But, yeah, there is that element of homesickness, of course, which is which was hard. But by, by the time I was – I did first term year 11, so I was there just over four years. And by the time I left, it you know, I certainly had some lifelong friendships which obviously still remain, and and I guess I'd lived away from home, so going mm. to the stables in Bathurst was, you know, I wasn't sort of leaving home. I'd already done that. So I think for later in life or, you know, the start of my professional career, I think that that element of being away from home certainly assisted in, in that department.
1: Yeah, so you left, as you say, 1997, you were 17, I think, so after the first term at Year 11, as you say, and you went to Bathurst, and it was an apprenticeship, it was a good apprenticeship, wasn't
2: it? It was a good apprenticeship. I was very lucky to be... Well, as you know, my family have owned horses and had had horses and interest in racing, not sort of so much at the level we're at now, but certainly around the country, central district area, and uh, that they... My father knew Billy Aspos quite well, and uh, his wife Leanne trained. Of course, she was a leading trainer there at the time, so there was an opening there for me to go to them, which was which was a real stroke of luck because Billy was obviously a you know a champion Australian um, country jockey. He did he won the George Lane Stakes and Turadu at Group One level, and did very well in Sydney as well. But he. Um, So I had that introduction to have a jockey sort of show me the ropes from a very early age, which was, I think it was, I didn't realise at the time, but certainly looking back on it, I was just, I was so lucky and it was so beneficial to have that influence uh, to work with from such an early age.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next... Well, the ambition becomes reality. Hugh Bowman hits the big time.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with legendary jockey Hugh Bowman. Well, Hugh, the picnic races of Narromine, New South Wales, uh, set the scene for us. Your first official ride, I think it's 1996.
2: Uh, it was at a place called Mungery, which is just out of Narromine, Uh bit I don't know exactly where it was. west of Dubbo and south of Narromine. It was literally a, well, there was no inside running rail, to give you an <laughs> idea of the track. Uh, yeah, so it was it was an interesting start. I don't think much about it anymore, to be honest, but I do remember the day vividly, and uh, I had two rides, both for my father. And the thing about the early days for me, I hadn't, I'd never ridden track work. I'd only ever galloped horses in the paddock at home. Uh, I'd, i I was still at school so I was only my only experience really on race courses was when I went and did my barrier trials in the in the school holidays. So it took me about nearly twelve months before I completed enough trials for the stewards to allow me to ride as an amateur jockey. And mm. yeah, that's yeah, that's where it all began at Munjury. So it was soon after that, you know, I started to ride in the races, and I, as I said, I was still at school, but I was really keen to leave school and pursue an apprenticeship, and yeah, that happened about twelve months later. I think I was I was sixteen when I rode as an amateur, and yeah, just before I, I left school in Easter, nineteen ninety seven, and went to Bathurst as we touched on before, and started with. Leanne and Billy Asbos and um, uh, I think the soldier saddle meeting at Bathurst was my first uh, official race meeting as an apprentice jockey. I didn't ride that day but um, yeah it's certainly interesting thinking back to those earlier days.
1: Yeah, I can imagine I can imagine and your first winner is Slats I think it's at the Wellington Picnic Cup in New South Wales obviously. You're still a teenager. Um, can you Describe the rush for us when you you know you'd won.
2: Um, Look, to be honest, it was... I I actually rode the horse two days prior to that at Come By Chance Picnics, and uh, it's a dirt track out near uh, Walgett, uh, western New South Wales, and two days later, it was Dad's horse. uh, John London trained it, um, and then Dad took it back. We we took it home from... um, from come by chance and yeah dad backed it up two days later at wellington in a four horse race he actually had one of the other ones as well so he had two of the horses in it but yeah i guess it i didn't really get a huge rush in that first winner i just didn't know what to expect um but you know i do remember it and it all sort of happened before i realized what had happened if that makes sense
1: yeah, well, you you do well to remember it, to be honest, because I don't know a couple of uh, thousand wins have followed that one uh, at least, so you do well to recall it at all. Yours you remember your first Matt. That's true. Hugh, if we skip forward a couple of years, 99, I think it was, you moved to Sydney. So you complete the final two years of your apprenticeship there, and you did it. I mean, Dunedoo's got um, some great claims to fame because it also produced the legendary jockey turn trainer, Rod Quinton, and um, you uh, did your stuff under him in the last two years of your apprenticeship. Yes,
2: uh, Ron was... It's interesting. He he was born in Dunedoo Hospital, but he actually grew up in Vendoran where I went to primary school. So um, again, there was a family history there with Ron. Uh, my parents didn't know him that well personally, but, but they were very good friends of the family that Ron's father, Mr. Quinton worked for in Vendoran. And obviously, you know, he by this date I'd done work experience with him when I was at Scott's. I went there um, when I was in year 10 to do work experience and, all that did was increase my appetite to become a jockey and 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 to go to Sydney and do it too. So it was always my ambition, even when I went to Bathurst to you know move to Sydney. I had three goals when I started. I had my first goal was to be the leading apprentice in this country um, my first year riding, which I achieved. My second goal was to be the leading apprentice in Sydney before mm-hmm. my apprenticeship was over, uh, which I which I achieved when I went to Ron. And my third goal was to win a group one race. And so it took a while for that to happen. I, I was nearly, I was 23 before I rode my first group one winner. But yeah, those were the only three goals I really set myself in those early days. And uh, with the guidance, well, with, with the support of Leanne and Billy Aspros in Bathurst, they, they really gave me a really great platform to build on when I got to Sydney because I'd ridden over 100 winners by the time I went to Ron. Uh, so I had a, for someone at, at that age, I guess I had a fair bit of experience um, having had all those winners and ridden all those country tracks. And yeah, we went to Sydney in, I think it was about June 99. I packed up the Holden Commodore with all my wife's belongings and drove to Sydney, and uh, I've never left.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, just on that Sydney uh, champion Sydney apprentice um, um, moment, if you don't mind, Hugh, 99-2000 season, was that the same year? You might have broken your arm that season too, didn't you?
2: I did. You've done your research very well. So I got to Sydney with a bit of a boom on me, I guess you could say. And, uh, yeah, within the first two or three weeks, I had a fall uh, at Randwick and I, I it wasn't my arm, I, I blew my leg, I got hit, the horse behind me hit me and did some ligament damage to my knee so it blew up like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't walk for two weeks but because there was no fractures, I actually, once it started to heal, it healed very quickly so, but I was out for about a month and so that sort of delayed my momentum of, of you know, getting going in winter and when I came back to the riding, it was really interesting because they changed the claiming system in in New South Wales. So when I when I moved to Sydney, I had no provincial claim and I had a three kilo claim in the city. But they changed the system to split it up, so they had a country system, a provincial system, and a and a city system. And so that actually. I got a three kilo claim back at the provincials because I'd only ridden about two or three winners there. So I went from having no claim at provincials to a three kilo claim, which made it very attractive for the city trainers to put me on. So I started when I got back into the saddle after the injury. I started going to the provincials um, in sort of uh, every Saturday, and I was riding for the leading Sydney trainers and. Uh, it was the time of the carnival anyway, so there wasn't a lot of opportunities in, in Sydney for me. And it get, just gave me some real momentum. And then all the um, jockeys, or the big jockeys, top jockeys came down to Melbourne for the spring down here. And, of course, it, I'd been going so well for the leading, and it just really, the floodgates opened. And, yeah, I, I won the apprentice title that year with, uh, well, I'm my art rival Mitch Newman, who I'm very close with. We were both apprenticed together with Ron. I think we we won the apprentice title three years in a row between us. He won it the year before me and the year after, and I won it in the middle with a with a pretty health, healthy lead. so yeah, that's what that was the beginning of the time in Sydney and it was a really good start.
1: And bravery, Hugh, is an absolute prerequisite in your line of work, but I imagine the danger of what you're doing is something you don't want to be thinking about too often, or do you? Well,
2: when you're younger, you don't think about it much. I didn't then. I think about it a bit more now. The benefit of maturity. (laughs) Um, And also having kids as well. You know, you think. Yeah, I think you're just much more aware of the consequences. It's not that you're worried about falling. I mean, if if it got to that, well, you're sort of yeah, you're probably your time's nearly up. But but I, I think as you get older, you're certainly more yeah, you, you're certainly more aware of the consequences of what could happen and and the realization of that. But, but on the other hand, I mean, you you know things happen in all sorts of walks of life, but yeah, there's certainly mm. there certainly are risks involved, and if you have a fall, it's be like having a car crash. I mean, chances are you'll probably be alright, but there is a chance you you won't be. But anyway, that's one of the hazards of the industry, unfortunately.
1: Indeed, it is. Um, let's go back to that youth, uh, shall we? Because you were you had a flyer on Defire, 2004 Dooman Cup. This was the maiden Group One win. What are your memories of this one, Hugh?
2: Yeah, well, when you asked before about the elation of winning my first, riding my first winner on slats at Wellington, it was a bit of a numb feeling. I didn't quite know what to feel, but um, that certainly wasn't the case uh, at Durban. I was so so happy. It was it was like a childhood dream, really. I mean, I just I remember sitting at, uh in Bathurst and. Billy Aspros had a big picture of Tarradu on the top of the above the fireplace and I, I just sat there and dreamed one day of having the opportunity to ride in a group one, let alone win one and yeah, to that day was just really, really special. It was Guy Walter was a great supporter of mine. I went and started riding work for him as soon as my apprenticeship was complete in 2001 and I just, he was a very good friend and a great mentor. And, you know, I think a lot of his influence has been borne out in the way that I've continued to ride um, as I've matured. But, um, yeah, it was a really, really special day. And uh, it was, yeah, I'll just cherish it forever.
1: Mm. And we're going to spend a bit of time, obviously, talking about winks on this program but at the start of the last decade you form or you start to form a strong association with chris waller i mean how did your relationship blossom hugh well i
2: guess we under i don't know we just got along we're very we're different types of people but i think we both gelled together both both very loyal um and you know, he he was just going, you know, and he, his stable was just progressing and building and and going from strength to strength as it continues to do so to this day. Uh, so I guess that uh, it was a relationship that de- that developed in time. It wasn't, you know, like we were sort of put together and um, you know, I think it was uh, it was a relationship. Yeah. It was, Developed from both sides. There was a bit of pushing and shoving from both of us, I think, mm. at different times. And well, we continue to get that a bit even now, really. But I think that's what makes us so good together. And, you know, I, I think we understand each other very well too. But, again, that comes from time and, um, you know, spent working together and understanding each other's differences. And... um strengths and weaknesses and you know I'm sure I'm sure over the time I've helped him in areas and as I know that he's helped me in areas and uh, that and with that sort of relationship comes a lot of confidence and that confidence can't be it has to be earned and I think that's one thing with Chris and I we have a lot of confidence in each other.
1: You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, after this break, the ride that took Hugh Bowman's career into the stratosphere. We'll talk winks next.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with widely respected jockey Hugh Bowman. Well, Hugh, Winks had five different jockeys across her first 11 starts. Now, your first ride on her might have been her third start. You won the Group 2 Furious Stakes at Randwick. Tell us about that day, if you can recall it. did she stand out even then to you? Can you recall your first impression?
2: Uh, I can No, she didn't stand out. I knew she was a nice filly, uh, but she didn't stand out to me. Um, she won very well and I wouldn't say it was I wouldn't say she was expected to win that day, but it was really it was, it was no surprise either. Uh, it was a damp track so we felt she probably, you know, I started to think she probably needs a wet track to see the best of her. Uh, But it was a small field. I think there was six, maybe seven in it. And, yeah, I jumped well, and she sat just in behind the leaders and came out. She let down really well, and it was a good win. And, um, yeah, so I do remember it. But, yeah, there there certainly was. I didn't think at that stage... (laughs) You know, I couldn't in my wildest dreams have thought of what was going to come, but no one could. But Oh exactly, exactly. I, I, I did, I did, I had ridden a horse called First Seal to a maiden win at the Kensington Track not long before that, trained by John Thompson. And after I won on Winks, I had to make a choice between First Seal or Winks going forward. And I think, you know, just and getting back to our Talking about my relationship with Chris Waller, you know, that's the reason I chose Winks. Uh, not because I thought she was better, just because of the relationship that I had with the stable and Chris himself. So it was interesting because First Seal um, subsequently came out and beat Winks at her next two starts uh, and went, won the Flight Stakes at Group One level. Uh, that and I ran second on Winks and. That
1: was the only time that I got beaten on her. Yeah, yeah, and that, three and that rides. was yeah. I think that that was her fifth start, as you as you might have said. And then it was the twelfth start, I think, of hers that you were you're back on, and it it turned out that would be her second win in the streak at thirty three. It was Queensland Oaks. I mean, imagine at this point, Hugh, you wouldn't have been too keen to give up the ride again. I'd imagine. Well, I, I
2: was. I was very happy to be given the opportunity to ride her again. Um, you know, she'd had a s she'd had mixed, a bit of a mixed spring uh or, sorry, autumn in Sydney. She ran ran a gallant race in the ATC Oaks and it was a really fast run in oaks actually. I think it just might have been a touch too you know, it just found her out on the heavy track. But then Chris you know, and it's interesting because Chris took her to Brisbane thinking, well, if we're going to win a Group 1 with her, we'd better go to Brisbane and try and win the Oaks up there. And it was... They were they were redoing Eagle Farms so that the Oaks was at Dooman, so, of course, it was over a shorter distance. It was over 2,200 instead of 2,400 metres. So it was interesting that, you know, Chris basically decided to take her up there for an easy... Easy Group One option, and to think what uh, that came after that was just well, it's extraordinary, so to say the least. But um, she was just a different horse. She got up there and just thrived. Um, even a, her Sunshine Coast Guineas win—I mean, it stands out as, just as much as some of her brilliant performances that were to follow over the next few years, but. Um, Larry Cassidy rode it that day, and I rode it from then on. Yeah, the and, one day, I
1: was suspended. I think. Oh, I was going to ask you what happened there. Yeah, and Hugh, what were the? Can you take us back to the time? I mean, what were the in these early days with Winks? What were the conversations like at this point between you know yourself, uh, Chris, and obviously the other connections to the horse in terms of you becoming the permanent fixture there?
2: Well, it, again, it just evolved. I mean, you're not Mm. thinking, you're not thinking four years down the track with with any horse. You're thinking about the next start, and even when the journey was evolving, you know, I was very mindful not to think too far down the, too far ahead. You know, I, I just tried to keep it as simple as I could, and, you know, my job was to make sure that, I, I had her where she needed to be to be happy and to run her best race, and that's what I continue to do. And the fact that she just developed in the, you know, arguably the best horse that we've ever seen, um, you know, that, that there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of departments to that. It wasn't just a case of her turning up and doing it, you know, she, it sort of built and the journey grew not only for, for her, but for us too. And so it was important not to think too far ahead. Well, for me anyway, obviously Chris had to think ahead because he had to plan everything, which he did so diligently. But yeah, for me, it was just about ticking one box and then moving on to the next one.
1: Well, it's the 100th running of the Ladbrokes Cox Plate on October 24, Hugh. Of your Cox Plates of 2015, 16, when you won by eight lengths, 2017 and 18, when you became the first jockeying horse to win four consecutive Cox Plates, are they all different in how dearly you remember them?
2: Uh, they are, yes, um, because the emotion was different. No, the expectation changed. The first one I thought was... I thought the first one was probably the strongest field she met depth-wise. And she broke the track record that day. So, yeah, I think that that was was the beginning of the legend, I think. uh, You know, the Winx legend, winning the Cox Plate in record time and to, to then continue to race at the level she did so consistently for so long was unbelievable, but I think she certainly stamped herself as a champion in the making with that first victory. The second one, when she beat Hartnell, it was dubbed as a bit of a match race because, you know, outside of him, the others really weren't up to it. Mm. Uh, But there's no doubt his form was absolutely supreme going into it. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that one. I, I think, but for me, that was my favorite because I just knew where Winks was at. Um, I was just so confident, but there was so much hype around heart And you know, it was just like a supreme confidence I had going into it, and I, I just really enjoyed that one. And from then on, there was just so much pressure and expectation that it was just—it was more of a relief than a than the um, mm. more of a relief, release, and adulation when we won the last. The last two, I mean, when we equaled Kingston Town's record, you know, it was a twelve-month build-up, literally. So the oh, it was just like a weight off our shoulders. And the fourth one, the fourth one, I really was, I was probably as confident as I was any time I rode her, uh, which was which sounds probably a bit a little bit cliche because I was always confident, but I didn't feel as much pressure on the fourth one as I did this third one because she'd already, she'd equaled at Kingston Town. Um, You know, she'd ticked that box. She was then undefeated going into the fourth one and her preparation had gone really smoothly. And, you know, I guess we'd been through it all before, you know, so I was just going, you know, I was going through the same emotions as I was for the third one, whereas the third one, it was like new ground for me. Mm -hmm. But I found by by the end I was getting quite, you know, almost almost numb to the to the hype and the expectation and, you know, it was there but it was it was just a constant and it was I guess I'd just grown to be to live with it, I guess. It's hard to explain. But yeah. I but I didn't find it as hard the fourth year as the third year.
1: Yeah, you'd learn to deal with it, perhaps, as well. And and one one thing did remain the same, though, Hugh, the She's Apple salute. It's become such a part of your story. What are the origins of that? Well, that's
2: an interesting one. So my cousin, Stuart, who um, I mentioned before, we have the farm together at Dunidoo. he He did some time working in central Queensland, and he came back with a few of his mates, and they were doing it, and we up at Doo and I said, well, I'm going to take this and put it on the map. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time. It was just having a bit of a laugh. Anyway, I started doing it and one thing led to another and here we are. So it's, uh, it's, it's not a saying that I invented. I mean, it's come from somewhere else, but, um, yeah, it's just, oh, it's just a bit of fun, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it seems appropriate. The name, no doubt about that. Um, We're talking to Hugh Bowman on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly with Hugh, who remains at the top of his
0: game. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
1: It's been great to have your company here on this. Is your sporting life? Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Star jockey Hugh Bowman has been our guest today. Well, Hugh, life after winks—was um, there a letdown, and was it draining mentally? And and perhaps motivation might have been an issue coming out the other side. How did you process all that?
2: To be honest, I think at the start of I didn't really I didn't think it affected me at all. I thought I'm right. I I'm not feeling the pressure. I'm just carrying on it's just normal what I'm going through but soon after she retired it was apparent that it really wasn't that normal and I I, I can't really put my thing on it but I was just I was not so much mentally drained but physically and it was, it was like a build-up of adrenaline that had been building and building and building for so long and it was all gone it was just I was just so flat I was just I can't describe. I was just exhausted, so I took a couple of months off. Well, I'll take some time off. I'll freshen up and I'll come back for the spring and I'll bounce off into it. But I really found the spring uninspiring. I I was lucky with some good support for from Godolphin, Chris Waller too. Um, You know, I I continued to achieve at the top level. I rode several Group One winners, but but something was lacking. I was just It was all I was just tired. Anyway, so I I guess I just continued on, and then I worked through the summer, and I built some momentum and into the autumn. And you know, I I really felt like by the time the autumn came around, I was I I felt like I was back where I needed to be physically and mentally. Um, And then this year's been a bit of a headache with for one reason or another. But um, Mm. not only the COVID situation, but I, I took a break again spent time with my family and when I came back obviously um, caused a fall which was unfortunate so that took me yeah, look, that, that knocked me around a bit to be honest but thankfully Andy Atkins is okay and um, then I was just back from my time on the sidelines for, for that incident and I was before the stewards for my and ride and I just feel like I've struggled to gather momentum um, since I took a break early this year. But I've been working really hard on the fitness and training and I've now come to Melbourne, as you know, and, yeah, looking forward to just building a platform for for the next month or so down here and then going home and, yeah, just trying to really get my teeth back into it and get some momentum going.
1: Andy's fall obviously took place at Rose Hill in July and you had another ban in September overturned I mean there was a you touched on it there Hugh there was a fair bit of criticism I mean a lot of it online so-called keyboard warriors if you like I mean you're a professional sportsman but you're human how tough was it to deal with and not just for you but I think and you might have even told the stewards this at the time that it had taken a toll on your family as well yeah well
2: I mean thing about social media if it's all going well it's very good and
1: Mm.
2: people are very kind and pump your tyres up. But on on the same page, uh, when things aren't going well, people can write and say things that are pretty nasty. And, you know, you sort of... I sort of take it all with a grain of salt. But, you know, once you read something, you can't unread it. But it's not so much that that affects You know, just the fact that, you know, I, I really for Andy and, you know, obviously the connections of the horse, it was just a bad accident, you know, and it was an incident which was happened because of my actions, but, you know, it was, my actions were the sort of actions you see in most races every day and that doesn't make it right, but it, it's just, you know, it's sort of anyway, I just you know, I'm the one that had to deal with it and obviously Andy too, but he'll be back in the saddle soon and He's up and about. So that, for me, is the most important thing. And But, yeah, it took a little bit of time to, you know. But I feel like the best way to to get over something like that is to just get back in the saddle and, and work away and carry on and get on with things, you know. that's And I just, with the farm and incident, you know, it sort of disrupted that uh, possibility to get my momentum going. And, anyway, look. I'm not complaining. I've had, I've had a wonderful time of it. And sometimes the ball bounces in your favour, and sometimes it bounces against you. And you know, we're just trying
1: to,
2: we're just trying to keep turning up and keep catching the balls that are bouncing. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it's a good way to put it. Um, you've done a lot of catching though, because yours is a glittering resume. I mean, you've got more than uh, 2,300 wins on it, but. It's yet to include, I say yet, to include a Melbourne Cup. Is that an ambition that birds inside you at all, Hugh?
2: Well, obviously, I'd love to win the Melbourne Cup. I mean, every, it's every jockey's dream. It's every person that has anything to do with a horse race. Um, it's their dream. So it would be remiss of me to to say it wasn't. But the reality is that my weight restricts me a little bit with the race. Um yeah. You know, there's only probably one winner in my weight range every every decade. Uh, so that means I've got there's one horse every ten years that I can ride that the, the wins the race. So then I've got to be lucky enough to be on that horse. So I, I'd say the stats are probably against me from that point of view. But on the other hand, um, with as you pointed out, my, my profile and my. my my age, you know, I feel like I'm at the peak of my powers and, you know, I've got, I've got another five good years in me. If I keep my, if I keep my head screwed on and keep focused and working hard because, you know, there's no substitute for the groundwork. And if I can continue to have that motivation that you speak of and putting myself in a position to get the right rides, well, uh, who knows what might happen, but it's certainly, would be a dream come true um but I don't think I, I having been what I've been through I, I think if my career ended and and I hadn't won it um you know there certainly would be no regrets on yeah. my side for that
1: yeah, well, I think a lot of people here would be uh, ecstatic to hear you play on. Uh, You're playing on, ploughing on for another five years. You're 40 years young. I was going to ask you, you know, for a pursuit that demands just so much diligence, discipline. That's just in terms of its preparation, even before you get out there, as much as anything. How much longer are you willing to do this for? But by the sounds of it, the motivation is back to its, back to peaking. Yeah, well, I
2: just the motivation's there. I just need some momentum. And the only way to get that, to get in the saddle and go to the races. So hmm. that's what we're going to do. And um, the rest will
1: look after itself. Well, I must say, it is fitting we speak to you today. Obviously, the 100th running of the Ladbrokes Cox Plate on October 24. You can't talk about the Cox Plate without bringing your name up. And glad to hear the journey is going to go for a little longer yet. It's been great. To chat today, Hugh. It's and it's been the best kind of journey too, from the humble beginnings all the way to the dizzying heights of your chosen sport, and you have helped bring a heck of a lot of joy to a heck of a lot of people. So well done on all you achieved, and as I say, all that you're still to achieve. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find Tobinbrothers.com. Au. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon.
0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game?
2: Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas. together and loving it. TNCs apply.